Well, thank you again, my friends, for showing up. I really appreciate it. I was really stoked people were here last week. It's just so interesting to have, like, well, you all know, this group is relatively new. It's almost a year old. But being able to come into a group like this during all these strange times, like, you know, times of celebration and times of feeling really disheartened. And it's like I show up and here we are. And it's just so nice to see you every week. And to, there's some kind of... In all the uncertainty, there's a certainty about this that I feel very reassured by. So thank you for giving me, thank you for giving me a false sense of permanence. I really appreciate it. My heart really appreciates it. So thank you for showing up consistently and uh, being a part of this. I'm going to talk about uh, letting go again. I, I really feel personally that as the year comes to an end, I know we still have some uncertainty around the election and even more so with the virus and uh, I know the I know Kate Brown had I think tweeted today that at least Multnomah County is taking another two-week pause to be able to do some social distancing because of the rising of cases so I know we we all have our different levels of tolerance and being on edge so um, lots of love to you all please be safe take care of yourself reach out to me if you need me um, send me an email, give me a call and be glad to get on the phone or on zoom and chat with you if you need some, some time. But I wanted to continue because there's just so much to let go of. And I feel like moving forward is really going to require us to be really honest and in integrity about how hard this year has been and how hard the last four years have been. Um, and I feel like the beauty of letting go is creating space for goodness and space for new things, space for a new hope and optimism and, and letting go of some of the apprehension that we felt over the last few years. And um, I know I felt it, so I know I'm not the only one. So let me just jump right in um, and talk about some of the various ways on the path that we let go. The first talk I gave, if you haven't gotten that talk, you can download it, of course, on the podcast site um, and you can put these two talks together and have a complete set. But I, what I wanted to do is do the second part today. And what I want to talk about is how three things, basically, our precepts, which I think is so important, even more important than ever before, um, our precepts, loving kindness, and mindfulness itself, how these three things are sort of sacred acts of letting go, and they can make room for such goodness in our lives. And so I wanted to just touch on these things, these three things briefly. I think I want to start with, well, I guess I'll start with mindfulness. I'll start with mindfulness. I kind of want to jump into the precepts because when I was thinking about it today, it was very nourishing to me, um, I guess. Maybe nourishing is not the right word. It was more insightful. It really made me realize how significant the precepts are. But let's go in order because mindfulness is the foundation. I think that's probably a more appropriate place to start. Many of you have heard me talk about this before, but mindfulness in and of itself is an act of renunciation. It is an act of letting go. And that's part of what gives us so much relief in practicing it. Because when we choose to be mindful, we are choosing to let go of mindlessness. We are choosing to let go of distraction. We're choosing to let go of the craving and the clinging and the grasping. And so in and of itself, Mindfulness is a letting go experience. It is an act of creating space for whatever is present, where normally we would be running after future thoughts, rolling in the past, clinging to regrets, 
spending a lot of time in anticipation or apprehension or catastrophizing. So mindfulness is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to let go of the past and the future in this moment, and I'm just going to rest in what is. So you're letting go in being mindful. Choosing to live a mindful life is choosing to let go all the time. We walk through the world letting go into presence. So it's not as scary as we might might seem. Uh, in the last talk I gave, we, we mentioned a little bit about how sometimes letting go feels like a loss or a sacrifice or a giving up. But really, letting go is a trading up for a higher, more deeper, more satiating form of happiness. That's That's how... That's why letting go or renunciation is such a major part of the Buddhist canon. Another way that we let go in our meditation practice is when we let go of being attached to or uh, chasing after the hindrances. The hindrances arise. We feel irritable. We have this sense of longing or craving for something. We have some sloth and torpor. We've got some sleepiness. But we don't chase after it the way we normally do in our everyday life. With mindfulness, we watch the hindrances arise. We watch craving arise and we say, you know what? I'm not going to follow it down the rabbit hole. I'm just going to be aware that it's present in my heart and mind. And I'm going to let go. I'm not going to chase it. Same with aversion. We might have some agitation arise. We might be averse to something that's happening in our lives. And normally without mindfulness... We might really keep pushing and pushing and fighting, right? And pushing against. Mindfulness says, I'm going to let go of that friction and I'm going to be at ease. I'm not going to push back in either direction. I'm not going to push against what I dislike. I'm not going to run after the next sparkly thing that arises in this heart and mind. So mindfulness at its base, is a letting go. It's a constant reaffirming and re-aspiring to let go of the monkey mind, let go of the chaos and the papancha that happens in consciousness. This rapid fire of mood, emotions, thoughts, fears, desires, and really just taking a step back. And that's where some of the real deep healing occurs for mindfulness itself, is in the fact that we're really choosing to let go of distraction. We're choosing not to scroll one last time to see what's on Twitter or Facebook. We're letting go of an extra episode of something or we're letting go of the impulse buy. We're really turning away from distraction and taking refuge in ease and rest and well-being. And that's really a conscious effort on the part of the meditator. Living a life of awakening is living a life of letting go. And again, we're trading up for a deeper and more satiating happiness by doing that. Another aspect of mindfulness that is really letting go, and this is kind of a little more subtle, but for those of you who've had some more significant practice, it's helpful to remember that mindfulness narrows our attention, right? So when you think of a guided meditation, the teacher is always inviting you to put your awareness somewhere to narrow the attention. Be aware and awake to your breathing. Be aware and awake to your hands. Be aware and awake to your feet or the tension in your shoulders. So mindfulness invites us to narrow the attention so we can have a home base. We have a place where we can rest. We have a place that we can really relax into. 
Normally, the mind has this broad scope of vision. It's taking everything in, moment to moment. All of the stuff that's going on at work and all the stuff that's going on with our kids and just our mortgages and politics and life. The mind has got this huge net that it casts over the world and it takes all this info in, overly stimulating and ultimately burdening the nervous system. Mindfulness says, I'm going to let go of that giant net and I'm going to narrow my attention just to this breath, just this in and out breathing, just this moment of the sensations on my hands, or just this moment of the sensations on the tip of my nose or the top of my head. So mindfulness really asks us to narrow our vision to relax, right? It's so hard when we have to take in so much. It's like drinking from a fire hose, as they say. So mindfulness is an invitation to let go of that energy, to let go of that broad focus and rest and be at ease with a smaller amount of information, which causes the mind and heart to really relax. It causes the mind and heart to become concentrated and that creates a certain pleasure in the body. So again, mindfulness is about letting go of that huge source of information and being with the simple wisdom of present moment awareness in a smaller space, which gives us a sense of reprieve for this intense energy that comes out us every day, every moment as we move through our lives. So letting go, letting go is a withdraw from that tension and a laying back into a simplicity. Another way of letting go, as we all know, is loving kindness. And what's interesting about loving kindness is that most of the time I don't think of it, or I don't think we think of it as a form of renunciation. But if you think about it, the aspiration of loving kindness is for our own healing and the healing of all beings, right? It's an individual aspiration and a higher aspiration for well-being for everybody, right? Freedom for all. And with this aspiration for all beings to be free, we're also aspiring to show up in the world as someone who serves other people, that helps people who are in need, that shows up with love and kindness and compassion. So there is this aspiration involved in loving kindness of who we want to be in the world, how we want to show up with our kids and our partners, right? How we want to show up with strangers. This is the aspiration. In order to make that aspiration the divine promise that it really is, we have to let go of things. We have to let go of prejudice. We have to let go of resentment. We have to let go of hatred and jealousy. We have to let go of that feeling of contraction and fear in our hearts that prevents us from connecting deeply with each other. So when we say, I aspire to be loving and kind, and I wish well for all beings, we're also letting go. We're willing to take the risk of letting go and being vulnerable, being intimate, being connected. So there's a letting go in loving kindness. What's interesting about the mind and the heart is that there is so much in the world that feels really good, but isn't very skillful and actually harms us and harms others. There's plenty of stuff we can participate in and plenty of moods and mind states that actually feel pretty good, but actually can harm ourselves and others. And if you think about it, if we be honest with ourselves, 
those times when we're venting, you know, those times where you kind of flip your lid and you're just kind of like, oh my God, I'm so over this. And we lash out in some way. We vent on a partner or one of our kids, or maybe we get snippy with a coworker. When that venting happens, there's a certain pleasure in it. It's like, whoo, I got that out, right? There is a certain pleasure in letting go, even if the letting go is unskillful. And we have to be careful of that because the mind can get attached to that. Power feels good. Being in control feels good. There are times when we feel selfish and that selfishness has a a sense of pleasure for ourselves. Maybe we're tired and burnt out and we don't feel like serving someone. And so we contract in and that sense of selfishness, we're like, oh, this feels pretty good. I can just pay attention to me. Now, in general, it might be that you need some of that contraction, but we have to be careful because some of our negative emotions, some of our contraction of the heart can feel good. And that's really what we want to let go of in loving kindness, right? We want to let go of that grudge. We want to let go of resentment. I mean, I come from stock where we're trained. This is my family of origin. We're trained to hold grudges. Like I'm really well trained at this and holding a grudge can feel so good. That righteousness of feeling like I'm right. And I'm not going to talk to that person. And Uh, there's just something about that energy that can feel really good. It's harmful, certainly, but we, we need to be able to remind ourselves that when we aspire to be loving, we're choosing to let go of the grudges. We're letting go of the resentment. We're letting go of some of those things that the heart and mind might actually find kind of pleasurable. So it's just important to remember that when we aspire to be loving, there is some stuff we're giving up. We are making some sacrifice here and we're trading up to a higher sense of happiness. (laughs) I'll give you another example. (laughs) So maybe, no, I was about to say this is just me. It can't be just me, but I'm going to, I'm going to be transparent and talk about this just a little bit further because it's, I'm thinking about it right now. So, you know, we've been in, Molly and I have been in hibernation here since the beginning. Uh, We both work from home with all of our jobs and we both work multiple jobs. Um, so we're in very close quarters, sharing office space, sharing sharing the entire house, um, which is pretty small anyway. And there's plenty of times when I'll walk downstairs and as I'm walking downstairs, I'll call back to Molly and say, hey, do you want something, right? Do you want coffee, tea? I'm going downstairs, taking a break. Would you like something? And in that moment, I'm choosing to be generous and that generosity feels good. Now there's other times where I walk downstairs and I'm in a rush because I got to get on a Zoom meeting. And I might think to myself, oh, do I have time to serve her? Do I have time to offer, like get her something? And I might say to myself, I really don't have time. I just got to do what I got to do because I got to get on a Zoom call, for example. So in that case, I'm being mindful. I'm thinking, oh, can I go out of my way to do this? And I'm making the decision that I really can't do this right now because I have to do something else. Now there's other times when I walk downstairs and I'm just a lazy person and I don't ask her if she needs anything because I don't want to, I just like, I don't feel like being kind in that moment. I'm just like, I'm just going to get myself a cup of coffee right now. That's not how I want to show up in the world, but that's the honesty of the heart and mind. In some moments we're just self-serving, right? We're just like, Oh, I don't want to go out of my way for someone in this moment. So this is why loving kindness is such a powerful and profound commitment Because when we aspire to be loving and kind, we have to give up some of the self-centeredness. We're aspiring to keep our heart open as much as we can, 
right? And we're sacrificing some of that selfishness and that contraction in order to have a deeper connection with ourselves and others. So we keep an eye on that because loving kindness is a commitment to let go. It's a commitment to let go. All right. The other thing I wanted to mention was precepts. And I had to get to this because when I started my practice decades ago now, I think it's like 27 years. It's so long now. I think it's 26, 27 years. I was really antagonistic, as some of you know, and I've talked about this in other Dharma talks, towards the precepts. Because I was young. I was in college when I first got to the Dharma. And nobody was going to tell me what to do. And nobody was going to tell me that I had to keep precepts because that was just stupid. And Buddha was wrong. And I wasn't interested in following rules or creating any limits in my life or setting any boundaries. So when I started off with the Dharma, I saw the precepts as kind of an error in the Dharma that I was going to rectify by ignoring completely. And it wasn't like I was going to go do incredible harm, but... This idea of like lying and not taking things, it's like I wasn't going, you know, I was going to go rob a store or something, but I was kind of like, well, you know, a white lie. And so what if you take something on occasion that's laying around that's not your, I mean, I was kind of like, what is this? This is kind of an overreaction. Now, granted, I was really young. I was in college and still finding myself, but I was really antagonistic towards the precepts to such a degree. My friends who were meditators found it annoying they were like you really need to like be more respectful of the dharma like what are you do what are you doing like you're so antagonistic towards ethical behavior like who are you so that was kind of how you know how it was and certainly you know i was in college i went to evergreen so if anyone knows what evergreen is uh i was at evergreen so it's like i get into the dharma and they're like no intoxicants and i'm like well yeah you can like good luck getting the bong out of our dorm room. Like, this is not something I want to take part in, you know? Like, I was not I was not having it. And here I am, all these decades later, with this incredible reverence for the ethics of the path. I'm incredible reverence for the precepts that is, like, beyond belief. And I want to go through how this year has really shown me why these precepts are so important for us to take seriously. So let's think about this year, right? Let's think about, we have seen this year, or sorry, not just this year, these last four years-ish, we have seen such blatant disregard for human decency in a way that I have never experienced at the level of politics and in our social system. I've never seen this kind of thing, right? And I want to to reflect on what I've seen, because you guys have seen it too, but let's think of this in terms of the Dharma, right? We've seen in the last four years what it means not to have some social commitment to precepts, to ethical behavior. When we throw ethics out the window and we just do what we want, say what we want, covet what we want, we see what that's like at the top, right? We see this. And we have seen like physical violence. We've seen uh, so much dishonest speech, right? Misleading speech, harmful speech, bullying and intimidating speech, right? And we see the harm it causes, right? When someone is not committed to some kind of ethical or moral value system as a guidepost, we see what happens when the mind and heart are off the chain and there's nothing to hold it, nothing to guide it, nothing to aspire to. And we've really seen uh, unskillful speech that's designed to confuse us, to agitate us, to incite violence, right? It's powerful, right? And we see this skillful speech part of the path 
And when I see what's happened in the last four years, I think, wow, it's so amazing that the Buddha spent so much time talking about skillful speech. Because if we don't aspire to that, look what can happen. We've seen the extreme or an extreme version of not having skillful speech, how much harm dishonesty can do in a community, right? Especially when it's the leaders that are doing it. But just in general, how much harm these things can have on people. One of the um, precepts, of course, is non-physical harm. And we've seen people killed, harmed significantly, right? Whether it be from COVID or violence and protests or violence here and there, we've seen what happens when we don't make that commitment, when we don't let that kind of aspiration be a guidepost, a, a GPS for how our hearts and minds show up in the world. And that really brings me back to the power of the precepts as being a foundational principle in the Dharma. There was one other thing I wanted to say about the precepts. Well, actually, let me, let me say a couple things about the precepts. I wanted to remind us that one of the benefits of keeping precepts, agreeing not to lie, agreeing not to take what, what's not freely given, agreeing not to engage in sexuality that harms, right? These kind of things. When we practice our precepts, what it really allows us to do, when we put limits on our behavior, what we can see through mindfulness is how compulsive so much of our behavior actually is. When we make a commitment to speak with compassion and honesty, and we really pay attention to gossip and things like that, we can see the compulsion to gossip when we choose not to do it. We can see the compulsion to spin a story or change a tale to make us feel better or look better or make somebody else not look so good. The mind and heart are quite sneaky in this regard. And so when we make our commitment to skillful speech, we then can feel the compulsion when it arises for dishonesty. We can feel the compulsion arise for hateful or angry or harmful speech. So the precepts really allow us to see how compulsive the heart and mind are underneath and how easy it is to slip into harmful behavior. When we put a limit, when we say, I'm going to aspire to let go of allowing my mind and heart just to say whatever it likes, when I put a boundary on that and commit to a precept, then I can see the mind kicking back. Then I can see those moments when the heart just wants to hate, when the heart just wants to blame. And I can feel it coming up because I've made a commitment to watch it and, and be skillful in my actions, in my speech, in my thoughts. So the precepts are an exercise in self-exploration, right? We let go of letting the mind and heart just do whatever it wants. And we put some restrictions on it. And using mindfulness, we can then watch and gain wisdom on how the heart and mind actually work underneath. Because I know myself, it's so easy to fall into judging mind, right? Blame someone, shame someone, ridicule someone in my head, like, oh, that person's stupid, what are they doing? And then I remind myself, my commitment and my aspiration is to kind thinking, right? Kind speech, kind heartedness. So the lesson here in the precepts, even though we're letting go with the precepts, what we're really doing is creating a space for personal reflection and the development of wisdom. The precepts are a process. You don't just make the proclamation that you're going to not tell any lies or be honest or not take what's not freely given. And then it just happens. 
We grow into the precepts, right? We get a deeper and deeper commitment to them. And the deeper we are in the commitment, the greater the joy, the greater the authenticity, and the greater integrity we can have when we walk in the world, both as solo individuals and in community. So I just wanted to remind us of that because I know I it took me de decades to think that the precepts were worth exploring. Um, not that I was like going around like, again, not that I was going around like stealing and telling lies for no reason, but I was just like, I didn't realize that the precepts create a container for a loving, kind, and compassionate existence. And we have seen over the last few years that when we don't aspire to have that container and we just let the whole thing blow open, so much harm is done. So much harm is done. So I just wanted to remind us of that. It just felt really like poignant for me when I look over this last year. The last thing I wanted to say, which I included in the guided meditation earlier, was just to remind us that letting go creates space. The idea of letting go is that it creates spaciousness inside of us. And so as Westerners, especially North America, letting go is like loss, sacrifice, um, a one down position. Oh, I'm not on, in control. I don't have the power. So letting go is the opposite. It's letting go of control. It's letting go of the need to be dominant in some way. It's letting go so something new, something more gentle, something more kind can take its place. And I, I think I said this in my first talk a couple weeks ago on this, that I've come to see letting go is like cleaning out space in a closet or on a bookshelf, right? Or in a room and cleaning out the old cluttered material to allow for something new to come in, right? Taking away things that need to be thrown out or given away and allow space for something new to arise, a new gift, right? Something new and something beautiful. So we let go of greed, we let go of clinging, and we make space for generosity. That's incredible. That's such a great commitment for letting go, right? We let go of self-interest so we can offer someone tea or a cup of coffee when they need it, right? To warm their heart. And, and <laughs> I have to share this with you. So Molly and I were, uh, Molly and I went to Starbucks the other day. It's the one thing that we go out to <laughs> because we're so cautious with COVID. So we went to Starbucks and we were in line. And this was the day after the, after Biden had his acceptance speech uh, or whatever that speech is called. And so we were in line for Starbucks and the person in front of us paid for our drinks, right? And it's such a small little thing, right? But the delight that a total stranger would have offered a kindness completely made my day. It completely made my day. It was like, oh my God, there's goodness in the world still. Like people can just be generous. And it just was so touching. Such a small thing for the person in front. But for Molly and I, we were just like totally smiling, you know, because someone thought of us, you know, total strangers doing something that's just so random and so generous. And it created a spaciousness, not only in my heart, but I hope that person as well, when they were just doing that for us. So it made our day. So again, we let go of some of our self-interest and self-interest is natural. You know, it's natural for the heart to be contracted. It's natural for us to feel selfish and tired and not wanting to serve other people. And it's equally natural for us to let go of the self-interest and dive into the deep end pool of generosity and compassion. But we have to aspire to it because it's really easy to fall back 
into that contraction, right? There's a gravitational pull to selfishness that the human heart has, which is why the Buddha encourages us to aspire routinely to be loving, to remind ourselves who we really want to be in relationships and how we want to serve others and be in the world. So again, letting go creates space. Like I said earlier, if we let go of negativity, let go of pessimism and feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, it brings room for gratitude. It allows us to look at what we have and say, oh my gosh, I am so blessed in this moment, right? And these are just things we have to practice with ourselves and practice with others, creating space so wonderful things can come in. That was the biggest transformation I had over the years of thinking in terms of renunciation, seeing it not as giving up, but creating room, creating room for positivity in my life. To me, that changed everything when I thought of renunciation, nikama in the Pali. A few other tidbits that I didn't have a place for in the talk today that I wanted just to mention in my own practice. Another thing that I've come to really see with Vipassana is that renunciation means not being so attached to being in control all the time. We let go of that insatiable need to feel like we can steer everything, right? That we can always have what we want. Things can always go our way. And I'm an anxious person by trade, so I'm like perfectionistic. I want things to go a certain way. When they don't go a certain way, I without mindfulness, I'd be a wreck. Like my, I really would, believe me. Without mindfulness, I would want to control everything and have everything exactly how I want it. And I'd get really distressed as I was when I was younger when things didn't go my way. So I've really learned that Vipassana, a lot of it has to do with the willingness to let go of expectations, right? Of ourselves and others. I mean, think about it. Everyone in this room has had high expectations of one at one point or another of another human being. And that human being has hit their head on the bar. And we did not like it, right? It's like, I want you to be a certain way. Why can't you change? Why can't you do it my way? And we've all had that feeling of wanting to change someone or cling to a situation or an outcome. And I know what that's like. And Vipassana and mindfulness invites us to say, hey, maybe in this moment, I can just let go. I can let go of the need to be in control and let go of the need for things to be customized to my specificity, whatever that might be in this moment. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to give another example. So if you saw the, the halftime thing, I'm obsessed with jellyfish. So if you saw the halftime thing, so I went into the other room because Molly puts all that stuff up. And so I looked at the jellyfish screen. I was like, oh, it's a different jellyfish thing. It's so cool. And Molly said, well, this is different from last time. And it was she said, oh, it's a pre-recorded one from the same Monterey Bay Aquarium. And my first thought was, a pre-recorded one? You mean it's not live? Like, it's not present moment jellyfish? It's like previous moment jellyfish? And I caught myself wanting it to be different. Like, it matters when the jellyfish were swimming. So we all know how this works. Like, we want the world to be a certain way. We want the jellyfish to be live. And we can't have it. And so there's this contraction of the heart. There's this tension, this withdrawal, where we're like, I want it my way. And so much stress, so much dukkha comes from this inability to let go of control. The last thing I wanted to say is equanimity. Equanimity is such a big thing in the Dharma. And equanimity, 
this ability to bring a balanced heart and mind to the present moment, right? To accept what is there and really take a look at it, to really know the wisdom of the karma of the moment. In this moment, where is the suffering? What role am I playing? Where can I let go? That equanimity that's required to have that wisdom, that's renunciation, right? We're giving up the need to push away from pain. We're giving up that natural tendency. We're letting go of the fear that we need to push away from that which we dislike. And we're leaning in instead, right? We're sort of giving up the right to be disappointed in that moment. And we're saying, hey, look, jealousy has arisen. I'm going to be with that. Look, anger has arisen. I'm going to be with that. I'm abdicating the feeling that I need to run away and not lean into this suffering and this stress or heartache or whatever the case may be. And I'm making the sacrifice to hold what is so trading up for a higher happiness, the joy of the wisdom, the joy of the tranquility and the joy of the well-being that comes from that commitment and aspiration to having a balanced heart and an equanimous mind. So again, you see that renunciation is a friend. I would like it. The take home here is renunciation is a friend because for me, it wasn't for the longest time. So I would invite you to consider letting go as a great tool in your toolbox. Look for ways to give up. Look for ways to let go. Look for ways to expand and open to what is so and keep an eye on that contraction, that gravitational pull that pulls us back into self-centeredness and to aversion and craving and disappointment when things aren't going the way we'd like. Now, I, these days, I really feel it's necessary to remind us that when I talk about letting go and not being disappointed and not having control, when it comes to social justice issues, saying what I just said can be spiritual bypass. It doesn't mean that we're doormats. It doesn't mean that we don't change systems, right? It doesn't mean that we let people walk on us or be violent towards us. It means we have healthy boundaries. So I really want you to hear that part too, that letting go is not just accepting pain and suffering and exploitive environments and so on. That's The ethics tells us we're not going to take a stand for that, right? We're going to take a stand for goodness all around. So I just want to like cap that as a extra thing to say is that we can use letting go as a form of spiritual bypass in sometimes people say, oh, I'm just going to, someone's doing harm. Well, I'm just going to be equanimous. That is not what we're asking in the Dharma. Just please remember that the precepts prevent us from having that bypass. The precepts say, let go, but make sure no harm is being done. We always want to make sure that it's a blameless act. So that's something I always want to hit on because I don't want people leaving thinking, oh, I'm just going to let, let people walk all over me. I'll just be equanimous and let go. Please don't do that. Not healthy. So thank you, my friends, for your kind attention. This is the, uh, it's been a couple weeks of me really thinking about this letting go stuff. And in my own practice, like I said, over the last 20 years, it's been such a journey to getting to the point where I can uh, decrease some of my neuroticism. I had a therapist once who just looked me square in the eyes and said, you are a classic neurotic. And I nodded. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm anxious and I want to be in control and I want things to be a particular way because I feel safe. But I've had so much healing through mindfulness in letting go and looking at renunciation as a, a noble aspiration. 
All right, my friends, let's uh, let's fall back for a couple minutes and let's end on a positive, loving note for ourselves and everyone. Let's fall back into the body. Take a long, slow, deep, nourishing breath. Fill the body, the heart and mind with nourishment. Falling back into sitting, falling back into breathing. Here we are coming together in community to grow and develop and share. Community and Sangha aspiring to be free, aspiring to be loving, to being generous, to being open-hearted human beings together in community. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings know true joy, true love, May all beings be safe and secure, free from danger, free from harm. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. We come together in practice, firstly for ourselves to heal, to become grounded and centered in wisdom and compassion. And we commit ourselves to this process so we can show up in the world as compassionate and loving beings, wise, helpful, and in service to all. May we be free from suffering so we can be of service to all beings in their journey towards freedom, towards love, towards compassion. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. Thank you so much, my friends, for another wonderful evening spent in practice. Delighted to be with you, truly. May you be safe and free from harm. Enjoy your week. Try to let go of some of that contraction we've built up. Let's get back into hope and optimism. Let's see if we can take a load off and start this next year with some joy, gratitude, and generosity. I will see you next week.